0: Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Talk to Someone podcast, a show where you and I discuss the ins and outs of mental health. Over the past five weeks, we have taken one mental disorder each week and discussed them in some detail. Today's episode is the last episode of this particular awareness series. On today's episode, we are going to be talking about substance use disorders, which are popularly known as SUDs. To begin with, what are substance use disorders? Substance use is essentially using a substance for mood-altering purposes. When this use becomes harmful and starts to hamper functioning, it becomes a substance use disorder. SUDs can include legal and illegal substances such as alcohol, nicotine, marijuana, as well as substances that are not drugs at all. The question that arises is, what is harmful use? And where do we draw the line? First off, using borders on harmful when one issues substances in a way that is not intended or recommended, or is found to be using more than is prescribed. Harmful use means using to the extent of facing significant impairment, not just in terms of physical health, but also mental and emotional health. Significant impairment can include, but is not limited to, Mm -hmm. risky use, social issues, disabilities, failure to meet responsibilities, etc. Frequent users often use despite these impairments. But these impairments are often the primary cause for many to want to put a stop to harmful behavior. A question that is often asked when SUDs are talked about is, why do users use to this extent? The answer in two words is pleasure principle. You see, most of us do things based on the amount of pleasure we obtain from them, especially when it comes to recreational activities. Engaging in such activities activates a reward system in the brain. If you have had the casual drink or a cigarette after a long and tiring meeting, you know exactly what I am talking about. This same reward system is at play with most users. The rewarding feeling is often so profound that regular activities which are necessary to function are thus overlooked. This feeling of pleasure is what lay people refer to as a high or a kick. Now, there is a difference between a substance use disorder and a substance induced disorder. A substance use disorder is essentially problems that arise from taking a particular substance regularly despite experiencing said problems. A substance-induced disorder, however, is a substance or medication-induced mental disorder. These can include depressive disorders or obsessive-compulsive disorders or anxiety disorders. The thing is that these are substance-induced. For many legal substances, the line between use and using to the extent of it being disorderly is a blurred line. Often, you hear from others or think to yourself, I only smoke when I am drinking, it's not too bad. Or, I only take two drinks a day, it's okay. Or, two pots of coffee in the morning is alright. Generally, in such situations, only an individual is a best judge of themselves. That being said, there are ways to self-assess. To start off, think, is this behavior causing me harm? If you are thinking of seeking help at this particular stage, it's a very good idea. There are both social and medical avenues that are ready to help you. As of now, we have discussed using substances like alcohol, nicotine or other drugs. Some of the substances people use, however, are not classified as drugs at all. I'm talking about prescription drugs. Very often, drugs prescribed to ease an ailment become a substance one has difficulty quitting. Why does this happen? If you've indulged in any such behaviour that provides you with euphoria, and I don't just mean substances, but also maybe sporty activities like running, working out, etc., you may be familiar with the term tolerance. What is tolerance? When you follow a particular behaviour a few times, you need a stronger dose of it as time goes on. What do I mean by that? See, it starts with one drink and then there is a slight wave of oh wow, this feels good. With time, it becomes two drinks or one large and one small. With time, the body builds tolerance for a substance and so you have to consume more and more of it to say yes, I was not prepared for this so I am feeling a little high. While most people claim they drink to unwind, if they were to do it regularly enough, they would have to consume more and more alcohol to, say, feel something. With users of prescription medicines, most of them started out for an ache or a pain. But with time, the body built tolerance and stronger doses were needed to function. In some cases, certain medicines were banned or stopped being circulated And so the users had to move to the streets or had to consume worse substances to feel okay. In such a case, it became very, very difficult to ensure quality of the substance. Many consumed tampered substances, which had other uncertain side effects, which hampered their functioning. In the USA, for example, there were reports that cocaine was being laced with fentanyl, And the resulting combination was deadly. Often, most of us use medicines or substances to self-medicate. This happens most often when we are experiencing loss. Losing a loved one, losing a job, getting into an accident, etc. are primary causes that one starts to self-medicate. This is very difficult because while processing grief, Anything that seems to lift one out of it becomes something that feels irreplaceable. It is easier to fall into a pattern of consistent use. But this, for obvious reasons, is extremely harmful. If you are someone or you know someone who has been dealing with intense grief, please reach out. You do not have to deal with it by yourself. See, the problem of substance use took over the world long before the crack epidemic. Excessive consumption of alcohol led not only to increased rates of domestic violence, but also disturbance in family life, intergenerational trauma, and long-lasting child custody battles. This led to the not-advertising culture wherein television does not air explicit alcohol commercials. The stigma associated with rehabs was enough to discourage most from seeking help. In such a scenario, the community came to the aid of such individuals. Community setups such as Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous were formed. These are essentially support groups that provide users with a sense of support and aim to ensure comparative ease on the path of quitting. Here, with the help of sharing circles and finding sponsors, individuals start out, maintain, and sustain an alcohol or narcotics-free lifestyle. The AA movement specifically works based on a step-by-step program with celebratory or congratulatory chips and badges to provide individuals with positive reinforcement for taking the call to remain healthy every single day. Rehab is not the only option for those of us wanting to reduce or abstain from a particular substance. If you would like to reduce the use, or quit something completely, there are multiple options to choose from. These options involve meeting with a healthcare provider. In most cases, this healthcare provider could be a psychiatrist. Sitting down with a psychiatrist would involve multiple steps. I believe we should discuss some of them in brief detail. Initially, there will be a case history that needs to be taken. You may remember what a case history is from our last episode. This would involve getting into some detail. Questions that will be required to answer could be, When did you start taking this particular substance? How frequent is your intake? Where is the substance sourced or procured from? How much on an average do you spend on this substance? Have you tried to control intake in the past? And if so, how? Like I mentioned in the past, if answering any of these questions makes you uncomfortable, you are more than encouraged to take take a trusted confidant with you who could answer on your behalf. Please keep in mind that it is extremely important that you be as honest as possible with your healthcare provider. They want the very, very best for you and if you doubt their intention, find a new and better health care provider. After obtaining a case history, there will be what is known as a goal setting. The aim of this exercise is for you to set a realistic goal for yourself that the healthcare official can assist you in achieving. For many, this goal is absolute abstinence. But for many others, it's not. Some people choose to reduce consumption. And that's an extremely valid choice too. Remember, you are in control of the situation and nobody will force you to choose a path of recovery. This is a journey which you undertake with professional help. And professional help is always encouraging, never coercive. After a goal has been set, your healthcare official will provide you with some options. These would depend on the infrastructure your state provides. Or the private firms that may have facilities that you could avail. For some, this could look like rehab. For others, it could be regular testing or screening. For some, it could also be a monthly checkup. If you are uncertain of the options suggested to you, tell your doctor. In order for someone to help you, you need to want their help. Recovery is not something that can be forced. It is something that has to be embraced. Take your time and explore your options. Now that we have spoken about using, let's discuss caregiving briefly. See, caregiving or caring for an individual who uses is difficult. It involves many things and constantly being on the edge of your seat is one of them. Like there are support groups for users, there are also support groups for caregivers. These could help provide them with the care and support that is lacking in their personal relationships with the user. You may have noticed that during the course of this episode, I refrained from using the word addict. That is a conscious choice. The language that we use to convey a certain sentiment governs how we feel about the sentiment. For example, using the words crazy or maniac invoke feelings that may make someone feel out of control, risky or problematic to associate with. Similarly, using the word addict desensitizes the individual to the needs of a user. When users were asked how the term made them feel, they said it made them feel like they were diseased or out of control or bad people or not worthy of respect at all. Similarly, most people, when referring to the treatment, refer to treated individuals as clean and users as dirty. Think of these words, clean, dirty. Using such words develops a hierarchy of who is worthy of respect and who is not. It makes us discriminate among individuals. Language is a tool and tools like this need to be wielded carefully. We will discuss more on the use of language next week. For now, if you are someone or know someone who needs help, remember, the very first step is to talk to someone.